the Gucci girl, Prada professional, coach queen, or target trendsetter. No matter how you describe her, she's the most powerful consumer in the country. WebmasterRadio.fm presents Purse Strings. Join marketing to women expert Maria Ritan, president at Lola Red, as she chats with those in the know so that your business can grow. Now, please welcome our host of Purse Strings, Maria Ritan. Good afternoon and welcome to Purse Strings. I'm Maria Retan. Thanks so much for joining me today. You can catch Purse Strings right here every Tuesday at 3 o'clock Eastern Time. Each and every week you'll learn how you and your company can corner the market on the most powerful consumer in the country. That's the 51% of us who control more than all, well, really more than 80% of all the spending, the woman, of course. Well, first up, an article on Media Post by Eric Sass. Um, I always like to, because I'm in the public relations and advertising business, I always like to look at how different mediums are performing. And this article really uh, grabbed my attention. It's about magazines. And, you know, a number of years ago, magazines started shuttering all over the place. And we lost some really great, iconic magazines. Well, since then, they've been trying to grow their online audience. And the good news is they're having some success. The total print and online audience for American Consumer Magazine has increased almost 13%, according to the Association of Magazine Media, and that is one of uh, the largest audience growths that it's seen. It's driven, they say, by increases in total video audiences, which rose 18.7%, and of course, mobile audiences, which is up 78% year over year. So you can see that mobile, as we all know, is having a huge impact on how we consume it information. Um, Some of the magazines that are doing the best is ESPN, the magazine, um, mainly because, according to this author, a combination of web, mobile, and video audiences. All of these are coming into play and driving eyeballs, by the way. So it's not just the online uh, print content, but also the combination of video and then how that content's being consumed. The second place was People Magazine, uh, which had Across all digital channels, 44 million. And Better Homes and Gardens coming in at third place with a gross audience of 49.1 million, followed by Forbes and Fourth, <clears throat> excuse me, and then Time Magazine. And bringing up the rear in the top six is AARP. Now, newspapers are doing fairly well as well. The Newspaper Association of America <clears throat> is saying that the combined digital audience for U.S. newspapers reached a record. 173 million in January of this year, according to Comscore data, and that is the highest ever. So, congratulations! It's glad to know that it's not that print is dead; it's just that it's being consumed a little different way between magazines and newspapers, and um, so and and also video. Of course, we know that's a huge driver. Our purse profile today is a Prada professional, a woman career career professional who's trying to balance her life. Uh, with her career. Median age is 36, 75% college grad or more employed full-time, 60% of whom are parents, and they're pulling in a median household income of about $150,000. They really value their relationships. They have a close circle of friends. Um, They are confident in their style. Uh, Practical purchasers, they say, with a practical outlook on life. They shop around for expensive items, and they use the Internet to help plan shopping trips. So they not only shop online, but they also use it uh, at retail. Uh, they want to get to the very top of their career, and they consider themselves to be a workaholic, hence their desire for some work-life balance. 
when they do have free time, they like to spend it with their family. They like to consume arts and entertainment, and they like to travel as well. So where can you find these women? Well, she's reading a lot, as you can imagine. Magazines uh, speak to her. Magazines like Real Simple and Style shape vanity fair or big ones uh she's online quite a bit uh and she's getting news online at cbs and msnbc and uh cable outlets are also uh demanding a lot of her time it looks like that she's getting more entertainment maybe some escapism from e and food network and tlc also being tops with her well, my guest today is is known for uh, many, many things, but most of all for being such a, a fabulous columnist. You may have actually read her column, House Watch, in the Washington Post, where it's been since 1994. And if you haven't read it in the Washington Post, you may have read it from numerous media outlets, as it's also syndicated nationally. Um, that would be Catherine Salant. She also blogs for The Post, and she describes herself as a lifelong explorer of houses. Uh, she encourages consumers to think in fresh ways about home planning, design, building, and remodeling, and this fascination seems to have gone back uh, quite far. She was trained in architecture at Harvard. She was a Fulbright scholar, and she was studying village houses in Nepal, and in fact, She's the author of a book called The Brand New House Book and Four Villages, Architecture in Nepal. Uh, she's an award-winning win- writer. She won the 2013 Gold Award for Best Column All Media from the National Association of Real Estate Editors and has won a Silver Award for Best Freelance Collection as well. It's the sixth six time she's actually won that award. I'm really thrilled to have Catherine on the show today. We're going to be taking a look at um, homes and uh, our relationship with home design and the appetite that we as consumers may have that may- remains really quite untapped in the marketplace. Uh, so stick around. Purse Strings returns in just a minute with Catherine Salant. Purse Strings will be right back after a word from our advertisers. Great websites today need expert web design and development and need to be e-commerce ready and mobile friendly. But building a marketable and profitable website can be an uphill climb. Ready to make your new website or replace your existing website? Think Orange as the new way to get in the black. Orange Hill Development works with Fortune 500 companies and offer the same top quality development service at a fraction of what other providers charge. Brands like Absolute, Carlsberg, and Nestle trust Orange Hill Development. Find out why you should trust your website with Orange Hill. Contact Orange Hill for a consultation today at orangehilldevelopment.com. The Web Marketing Association presents Great Moments in Website History. 1994, Trey G browses with a high-speed 56K modem. 1997, Donnie W. discovers scrolling. 2006, Smudges the Cat becomes an animated GIF. What is your great moment in website history? The Web Marketing Association is now accepting entries for the International Web Award Competition. Web Marketing Award winners receive an image plaque, certificate of achievement, higher visibility for your company, valuable feedback from our expert judges, and links to your site from the highly ranked Web Award site. Visit www.webaward.org to nominate your company, site, or organization. The call for entries has begun, and the deadline to enter is May 29th, 2015. Go to www.webaward.org and sign up today. 
Johnson, what's this mantis I keep hearing about? Do we need to call an exterminator? No, sir. Moby Mantis is our new SMS marketing tool. SM what? SMS. Text messaging. Moby Mantis lets us communicate directly with our customers in real time. We can send promos, coupons. It even lets our customers market for us by sharing offers with their friends online. It's been great for business. Hmm. Sounds expensive. Actually, I signed us up for an extended free trial. It hasn't cost us a dime. Good work, Johnson. I guess the only thing we'll be exterminating is the competition. To get your free extended trial of Moby Mantis, text RADIO to 21691. That's RADIO to 21691 for Moby Mantis. Hey, this is Danny Sullivan to talk to you about Bruce Clay Incorporated. They've made Inc. Magazine's list of growing private businesses and have exhibited and sponsored at my conferences since the very beginning. You've seen their search engine relationship chart or you've read their SEO code of ethics, so you know their SEO experts. But did you know they can help you with PVC, web analytics, web design, marketing strategy, promotion, and branding? Yep, get everything you need for success in the online marketplace. You can check it out from the professionals at Bruce Clay Incorporated. For over 10 years with offices worldwide, they've got the answers you need. Check them out today at BruceClay.com. Her Strings is back with the inside track on today's women. Once again, here's Maria Retan. Welcome back. Joining me today is Catherine Salant. She's a columnist, a, a renowned journalist. You may have read her column, Housewatch. It's appeared in the Washington Post since 1994. It's been syndicated nationally. And I'm excited to have Catherine on today to talk about uh, architecture, our approach to uh, how we choose our homes and perhaps what the homes can be telling us about relationships. Catherine, welcome to the program. Thank you. So excited to have you on. First, please do tell everyone how your interest in homes began because it it goes back quite a ways. <laughs> well, yes, I would say. Um, in fact, you might say it goes back to the very beginning. I would say that I've always had an interest in houses. And I grew up in a subdivision that was south of Washington, D.C. And in our subdivision of maybe three house, 300 houses, my house was there were only four houses like ours. And so from very early on, I was aware of differences between houses. And in those days, you were always in and out of it. All the little kids in the block all went up and down and in and out of everybody's houses. And then I also grew up in the wave of home building after World War II. So when I was very, very young, the woods began at the end of my street, and slowly they started building houses. So we had no parks, but we sent our childhood crawling all over construction sites. And I've often thought my mother would be horrified if she knew about this, but I think, in fact, my father would have set a chip off the old block because (laughs) the last time he and I went clambering over a new house, I think he was nearly 70. So that's how I that's how I got started with it. I've been a reader of real estate sections in newspapers since I was maybe 12 and I so I clearly always had an interest in housing. But fast forward through elementary school, high school, college, graduate school, and when I was studying architecture at Harvard, I had the opportunity to go to India and study there. And one of the things I found about India that was really fascinating to me was to be in environments and in villages where no expert, as I had been trained to believe was necessary, had anything to do with the creation of the house, of the village, and yet it all really seemed to work in terms of what the people's lifestyle. And I felt like there was much to learn there that I wouldn't have found in America. And I managed to get a Fulbright scholarship, and I went back to Nepal, and I spent two years in Nepal living 
in remote villages with families because I felt the best way to learn about how the houses worked was to live in the houses. And that made me very, I would say, very humble in a way because you have, when you're studying something that's so radically different, you have to become very objective and you have to start characterizing things not in terms of do I like this, but does this work for the person who lives there? Does it meet what they need? And when you're going to be a reviewer of new homes in America, that's a very good way of looking at it because I think it's, especially architects, um, tend to have be very opinionated about everything and it's not helpful. You have to look at the house from the terms of the kind of family, the kind of household that would live here and does it really seem to work in what they want, not what you want. Right. So, and yeah, it is very much an inside out approach. And I think that's just so smart. And as you said, it, your experiences go all the way back to the very beginning, but it does feel like that experience in Nepal has really shaped your philosophy on uh, approach to architecture, if you will. And you have been living in houses to try them out from time to time. In fact, I know you've, you've written some unusual stories that kind of stem from test driving some model homes. Can you talk a little bit about that and how you really get more out of actually living in that home that you might from just touring a home? Sure. Um, well, I've done it several times. And the first time I did it, my editor at the Washington Post said, I want you to write a story about big houses. This was about 2001. And I thought, well, gee, how can I do that? And so I approached a builder in the Washington area that I've written a number of times about different projects he'd done. And he knew that I really respected his work. I would not trash the house. And it it had really, I think, never been done before. So I moved in over Thanksgiving weekend, not a time when prospective buyers look at new homes. And this house was a 10,000-square-foot house. It was 3,000 square feet, on, uh, more or less, on each floor. And we lived there for about three days, and myself, my husband, and our three kids. And there were many things about it that were completely unexpected. I would say uh, one of them was that you look at these houses, and they look so glamorous, and you imagine yourself in the house, and a big. And you think, oh, it'll just be great. And you never think about real life. For example, you still have to cook meals, you still have to clean up, you still have Mm -hmm. to deal with the kitchen. You know, life does go on in a very routine kind of way. Um, And so you have to make sure that the kitchen works in that respect. Then because it was such a big house, one of the things that I discovered was communication between the floors. And if you're on the second floor and the phone rings, and this was back before everybody had a cell phone, and you know that the person who's being called is in the basement, you have to go practically all the way down to the basement to tell them the phone is for them. Mm-hmm. You can't just kind of yell down the steps. And uh, that was it, at night when you go to bed and you want to make sure the lights are all out. You have to walk all over the whole house, and that's a lot of house. And that was one thing that the builder actually started incorporating into his as an option was uh, some kind of inner, more sophisticated intercom service in, within the house. Another thing I found was that kids really don't like the kind of privacy that you can have in a big house like that because each of our daughters had her own bedroom, her own bathroom, and my husband and I had a master suite. It was as big as a New York apartment, and it was it was kind of luxurious, but my children said they really didn't like being that far from each other. They didn't like being that separated. Mm. And in our house and in Arbor, in fact, the three of them, all teenagers, shared a bathroom. And they said, we really like that a lot better. We can talk about what happened during the day and whatever. 
And then I subsequently, some years later, I stayed in a house that was a townhouse. And originally it was being marketed to move up and young, sort of young marrieds that wouldn't have children. And it turned out that it appealed to a very broad spectrum, including many move-down buyers. And one of the things about that I learned that I never would have guessed was the house had four levels and you went up and down a lot. But the problem wasn't going up and down stairs, which I think is what many older people worry about Mm -hmm. in moving and downsizing. It was, again, communication. If you're on the fourth floor and you want to talk to somebody that's on the second floor or you have somebody at the doorbell, you got to go all the way down all those stairs. Mm -hmm. So you could say that communication is something that goes on no matter what size your house is uh, that people should pay a lot of attention to. And the most recent time I did it, it was a house that was a free, it was a detached house. It had five bedrooms. It was quite large. And it had a really lovely kitchen. And in the dining area, not only it was a kitchen dining family kind of sitting area, the kitchen area had both bar stools at the counter of the island. Then it had a kind of, I would say, a window seat. It wasn't, it was next to a wall, but it was a window seat that was, you could, um, sit up and as if you were by a window seat with your back against sort of a wall with pillows and stretch out and it had very comfortable dining seats and I began to look at that with so many seating options in there do you really need another family room maybe what you really need is just a small area with a sofa Mm -hmm. because in the family area really what you're doing is sitting and for a move down empty nester household that's not very big you may be able to get away with a lot less space than you imagined. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. Um, and I talked once, I interviewed an architect, and he was saying what people really like now, this was maybe two years ago, um, the husband come, or the wife, they work all day, they come home, one is fixing dinner, the other wants to put their feet up, but they want to be able to talk to the person who's working in the kitchen. And really what they want is like a lazy boy practically next to the sink. <laughs> and... <laughs> I, you know, I, I have this vision of a hammock. You would have a yes, hammock I love from it. a ceiling. That would just be what people want. So I, I think that people, um, that, that the way, it's very easy to just get fixed on a certain fixed idea of, mm-hmm. of what a house should have in it, and it's very hard to get off of that idea. And I think that one of the things that I've really learned in my model home visits is to get um, to be able to get away from that fixed image of things. Oh, absolutely. And, I think what you found, some of it's probably surprising to you at the time, is that what we think we want is actually not very conducive to how we want to live and how we want to be in relationship with those people that are in the home with us. You know, um, I, I, I found all those examples really insightful. And I know when you and I spoke earlier, we talked about uh, the impact of home design on relationships. And you explained that the home of the 50s was extremely conducive to family relationships, whereas we know a lot of what you were explaining today makes it a little bit more challenging. Um, and that because uh, people who grew up in the 50s were supported in the family relationship dynamic by the home design, that, you know, it actually impacted them as they went into adulthood. Can you explain that concept just a little bit for listeners? Because I thought it was particularly brilliant. Um, Sure. Well, I would say that in the 50s, um, the typical 50s rancher, one floor, three bedrooms, one bath, a kitchen 
dining and a living room that there was very the houses were small and most of the spaces were shared so everybody in the house knew what everybody in the house was doing so there might be two telephones or maybe one it was in the hallway so when the teenager is making his plans everybody in the family knows what's up and when you share a bathroom and everybody you run into people on the way back and forth from the bathroom and Stepping back for a minute, I think that when we talk about houses and what we want in the houses, we tend to think in terms of activities, like I cook a lot, I entertain a lot, I sew a lot, I work at home, I need a, I sleep at night, I need a bedroom, or I need privacy. But uh, the glue that holds a family together is the interactions of all the people in the family. And that's how through, I would say, I don't know how many thousands and thousands of interactions you have with your children as they grow up, but that's how your children learn how to get along with other people, with having to deal with siblings and with parents. And it's the glue that holds the husband and wife together while they're trying to raise a family. And these are informal kinds of things, and the more ways in which you can create informal interactions in the family, I think it's the family is better for it. And the house that I stayed in most recently, for example, had a stair, and the stair was in the kitchen family dining area of the house. And I'm sure that the architect put it in there because he thought that was the most efficient place to put it. But until rather recently, in most houses, the stairs have been in what I would call a stair chamber in the front of the house. And it's the front foyer, and the only time it's ever used is when you have dinner guests and people come in and out of the house through the garage, and then they go to the second floor. And if you have the stairs in the kitchen, as your children get older, teenagers tend to want to be getting out of the loop where you're trying to stay in the loop. And I think the chances of informal interactions um, are really important as your kids get older. So if the stair is in the kitchen, every time your kid comes in, maybe he comes in, through the garage and he wants to run up to his room, it's a chance to say, well, gee, how is school today or what's what's on for the evening? And it it just seems like when you create these kinds of things, it, it can happen more easily. And I would say some of my observations were because of purely serendipitous things in my own house. For example, my office in our house is between my children's bedrooms and their bathroom. And every time they have to go to the bathroom, they walk by my office. And when they were teenagers, it was an opportunity to talk to them. And my oldest daughter would often at midnight decide to plunk down in the doorway and want to chat. Now, it wasn't not my favorite time to be having a conversation. But with a teenager, you know, you've got to seize the moment. Mm -hmm. And I think the more ways that you can incorporate those kinds of things, um, the more interaction and the better the family dynamic. Another mm-hmm. thing I would suggest is that nobody is going to move back into the 50s ranchers. We all want to have bigger houses, and children are very unlikely to share rooms as they did in the 50s. But mm-hmm. nonetheless, there are ways that you can introduce into your family life that require people to share and to interact. Uh, And I would say, for example, I didn't plan it, but we have one television. And so if you wanted to watch it, you had to watch it with everyone else, and you had to share, like, who got to watch what. And it all happened in the same space so that people did have to interact with each other. And sometimes it drove me a little crazy because when kids are little and they have their toys and then in the family room, they're just going to keep dragging stuff in there until they, I want to say, go off to college. 
Mm-hmm. But that that could be a downside. On the upside is they still want to be in there with the family. So you're still right. getting some one-on-one time. So those kinds of things I I think are kind of, I would say, under the radar, but really very important in mm-hmm. how you organize a house. And another thing that I would say, this is kind of jumping around a bit, but I hope that's okay. Um, I wrote a story about how to plan, how to design a house for a step family. And one of the things that I learned in that was that when you're trying to bring two families together, it's important to plan. The planning is as important as what's planned. In fact, you could say it's even more important that how you think about um, joining a house and how you honor the traditions of each family and how you bring them on board um, is a really important part of the planning. And these are not things that any architect is trained to do. It's something that you as the homeowner and you as the, the member of the family, you, it's really up to you. It's, mm-hmm. I mean, architects and builders, they're focused on, um, you could say, on energy efficiency and sustainability and green building and you don't want the roof to leak and you want to have a a kitchen that's easy to cook in but they're really not trained to think about well how is this going to impact the dynamic of the family Mm -hmm. it's something that and I think women are much more in tune to this than men Mm -hmm. I I would agree with you no I don't think it sounds sexist at all I, I think that the aesthetic we're more attuned to the aesthetic piece of it. And we think about how we use uh, the various rooms of the home and how that's conducive for the way we want to live. I just think that's kind of how we're built. Uh, we're going to take a quick break, though. But when we come back, we are going to talk about, uh, in the few minutes that we have left, kind of this appetite for clean, simple, and freshened exteriors and interiors that may be going against the grain of what a lot of the builders, the traditional builders really like to be serving up to the general consumers. So stick around. More insights from Catherine when Pursings returns in a moment. Purse Strings will be right back after a word from our advertisers. Whether you are an online business or domain name investor, you need access to the best names. With over 270 million domains already registered, finding the right names at the best price requires a great wingman. Namejet.com puts you in the pilot seat by giving you fast and unparalleled access to some of the best premium and expired domain names on earth. As the number one domain name auction platform, Namejet.com is the best place to find domains for your business or investment. So light the afterburners to the domain name aftermarket and fly over to Namejet.com at box speed to get great domains today. Namejet.com. Building better search engine rankings takes the right formula. Tracking those rankings is super simple. All you need is authoritylabs.com. Authority Labs uses automated daily rank tracking tools to monitor your site's performance or leverage their API to build your own tools. No matter what animal-labeled algorithms affect your ranking, you should be using Authority Labs. Unlimited users for no additional cost and white labeling can help keep your clients updated and save countless hours of creating reports. Whether you're running sites with just a few or millions of keywords, what you need is authoritylabs.com. 
Hey, this is Danny Sullivan to talk to you about Bruce Clay Incorporated. They've made Inc. Magazine's list of growing private businesses and have exhibited and sponsored at my conferences since the very beginning. You've seen their search engine relationship chart or you've read their SEO code of ethics, so you know their SEO experts. But did you know they can help you with PBC, web analytics, web design, marketing strategy, promotion, and branding? Yep, get everything you need for success in the online marketplace. You can check it out from the professionals at Bruce Clay Incorporated. For over 10 years with offices worldwide, they've got the answers you need. Check them out today. Her Strings is back with the inside track on today's women. Once again, here's Maria Retan. Welcome back. I've been speaking today with Catherine Salant. She's the columnist of Housewatch. It's been in the Washington Post since 1994, and she's a lifelong expert, I guess one would say, in home and home design uh, with a background in architecture. And we've been exploring the impact of um, home building on relationships. And right before the break, Catherine, you were talking about how contractors and architects aren't necessarily thinking about the homes they design from that lens of how it impacts the relationships of the people who live in those homes. And the other thing I know that that you've talked about before is the fact that uh, builders tend to to build a lot of the same types of houses. I think we're, for lack of a better word, I'll call them traditional looking homes. And yet you've seen examples of some more contemporary lines that have captured the public's interest. These would be simple, clean, freshened up exteriors and interiors that kind of have been flying in the face, if you will, of the more traditional look and feel. Can you you talk ab- about this approach and um, the success that you're seeing and maybe why it's appealing so much to consumers? Well, I would say that um, I think after seven or eight years of a nationally really bad migraine or bad hair, you can't <laughs> say bad hair day, bad hair years and years, um, I think consumers are ready to open the windows, let the sunshine in, let the let smell the roses, and they want something that's they want something that's kind of the equivalent of that. And what I thought was very interesting is it isn't that what this is what I was told um, at the recent Home Builder show is that no matter where you are on the spectrum of design, whether you want something that's really traditional or you want something that's really contemporary or something in between, maybe favor a more craftsman style, a more colonial style, you want it to be somehow more streamlined. And I think what we're talking about is the tailoring. You want it to have a different look. It can be essentially the same thing, but slightly different. So in kitchen cabinetry, for example, you might find the shaker look, which is very spare, to be increasingly popular instead of something that has a raised panel and it has more surfaces and for a while you had cabinets where the wood appeared to be carved in a way that looked like it was braided almost um, or like a cord of a curtain. Does that ring a bell? Mm-hmm. Yes, um, yes. And those kinds of looks. Or in the kitchen, um, people up at the ceiling line would have sort of a have dentals, which are little square mm-hmm. blocks. And the people, they're not interested in that anymore. Um, to my amazement, a really hot color now is gray. And I thought, wow, that's kind of depressing. But gray is like white. There must be a, probably a hundred different kinds of gray that are sort of veer a little to the red or a little to the blue or a little to the green. And that you can see them in patterns that are um, actually quite... Um, lively and quite jazzy. So I would say that the gray part of it maybe is the more contemporary. I don't know. You could suggest that was kind of the more contemporary thing. 
But um, And it does give certainly a very different look to a familiar pattern if it's in shades of gray. Uh, so I'd say that um, people seem to be wanting things just to be somehow freshened up and different. And builders generally, I would say two things about builders. One is they tend to be, they're sort of like the jet, I think of them as like the bomber pilot. It's like they want to go in there and like do their job and then come back. And they want to get out there and get their marching orders, build the house, and then move on, build another house. They don't really necessarily want to engage in debates about this or that or the other thing. And I, um, also, most of them are small businessmen. They're very risk-averse, so they don't want to build anything that's really different because they're worried that no one will buy it. And consumers, for their part, I think are unwilling to go really very far what they think of as traditional um, in part because they're worried that they can't sell it. So people want to inch, they, they kind of want to inch, but they very, very few people are willing to be really dramatic. But nonetheless, you know, 20 years ago, everybody predicted the death of the living room, and it took about, I don't know, maybe 15 years, and now it's really quite unusual to find a living room. Uh, when I stayed in the model house and suggested we don't really need to have a big sitting area of a family room, that's a pretty out there, unthinkable uh, suggestion, but you know, 15 years from now, it could 20 years, maybe it'll happen. Change does happen very slowly. The bathrooms were really big, now they've gotten smaller, and I think people are getting more practical and realizing you can only spend so much time in a bathroom and only needs to be so big. Mm-hmm. And but at the same time, I think that they do enjoy little perks. For example, the house that I stayed in, and this I would put in the contemporary column, you can have a sonotube. A skylight in your dressing room and there was one in the toilet compartment of the house that I stayed in and when we arrived at the model home it was dark so I had no idea it was in there and the next morning when I got up I mean what a way to start your day you know nice daylight in the bathroom um, so there are lots of small things like that that you can include that are actually you could say make a, a big difference but they're not huge in terms of the design right even the budget and, and, you know, you've even talked about how, you know, at one point we all demanded authentic materials too, right? We demanded granite, we demanded hardwood, and we demanded, you know, very specific things. But you're seeing consumers be comfortable with like materials. Oh, my goodness, yes. I think that nobody, people want, I would say people want a house that looks authentic, but they don't want the authentic old house. That um, natural materials require a lot of maintenance. And on the outside of your house, for example, you can have siding that looks like wood, but it's made out of a material, some cementitious material that requires painting maybe once every 15 years. And you can have windows that have uh, vinyl frames or they are wood on the inside and on the outside they're covered with aluminum that you can have inside your house Counters, kitchen counters that look like granite, but they're actually engineered stone. And now you can get ones that look like marble, but they're ceramic. I mean, the ceramic tile makers are doing amazing things. And I, although there are some purists out there, and I recently went to a trade fair and I got into this thing with an architect and he said, when I want wood, I specify real wood. And I'm like, well, I, I personally feel that it's, the ceramic, it, this happened to be a ceramic tile fair. If you have a ceramic tile and it's really well made and it's not going to crack um, and it looks like wood but it's really ceramic tile, I don't think anybody cares. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I mean, there would there could be other reasons that you might not want ceramic tile, that you might want a wood laminate, for example. But I think that, and people are just really practical. In the mm-hmm. same way that people, the uh, trousseau of 50 years ago would have sterling silver. Now nobody wants sterling silver. It's too much trouble. You got to polish it, and they just want something you can stick in the dishwasher. That's it. Mm-hmm. And keep it easy, keep it low maintenance, uh, keep it beautiful still, right? And uh, but, but as you said, consumers have really kind of been more realistic in the last several years. Catherine, I wish we had an entire hour because we could go on and on. I so appreciate you being on the show today. And I do want to encourage everyone to go and check out your blog on the Washington Post site. And you can also learn more about Catherine by going to catherinezalant.com. Catherine, thank you so much. It's great to have you on. Hey, I've really enjoyed it. Thanks a lot. You bet. And thanks to my producer, George. And join me right here next week for another edition of Purse Strings, 3 o'clock Eastern Time. Until then, make it a great one. This has been a presentation of WebmasterRadio.fm, the world's largest business-to-business radio and podcast network. We welcome you to sample past episodes of this program, as well as our complete library of programs, on demand or on the air via our 24-7 live audio stream at www.WebmasterRadio.fm. The opinions expressed on this program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of WebmasterRadio.fm's management or sponsors. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without authorized consent of WebmasterRadio.fm is prohibited.